please welcome to the stage Chicago Bears Pro Bowl quarterbacks, Jim McMahon and Mitchell Trubisky, along with your hosts, Jeff Joniak and Tom Thayer. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Did you make it through the night? Glad you came out first thing in the morning. Good to have you here. Our first legacy conversation of the day, and it's going to be a wonderful day. A lot of walk down memory lanes and a lot of insight about all these great players in Bears history. Mitchell Trubisky and Jim McMahon meeting for the first time, right? We need to get these guys microphones, though. That's the first order of the business, Big Tom Thayer. Well, a lot of us have not seen Jim at this time in the morning. You know, he was a late, arriver to, late arrival to the locker room, but I'm inspired to see him here early this morning. Well, why don't you hand him a mic so he can talk? We need two mics up here. Yes. So why don't you hand him a mic until he can uh, get one here? So, Jim, welcome. Welcome. Always good to see you. Hey, it's great to be back here in Chicago. Uh, I lived lived here for 28 years, so it's uh, it's it's part of my life, big part of my life. All my kids were uh, raised here, born and raised, and uh, my oldest son still lives here. That was my granddaughter. Enough, you saw me uh, carting her in here earlier, but uh, great to be back and uh, looking forward to the rest of the day. Thank you, guys. And Mitch, uh, obviously, you're a Chicago Bears quarterback. You know about Jim McMahon. I do. I know a lot about Jim now. What'd you learn? All kinds of stuff. Swapping good stories last night. Just uh, excited to learn from him and hear everything he's got to say and uh, just what it takes to play quarterback in the city of Chicago and, and be successful at it. So it's, it's been nice talking to him and getting to know him and his family. Let's start there. This, this, right, before we get started, this is to be successful here. You got to start wearing a headband. All right. <laughs> and some sunglasses. Step one. Now you're ready to go, kid. There it is. Let's there go. you go. Things will start to change for you now. Without that. <laughs> it's, it's a great question to start, though, because what is it like, Jim, and what you've learned, Mitch, to be the quarterback of the Chicago Bears? Well, uh, for the most part, it's, it's a thankless job because uh, a lot of times all you're doing is handing off to guys like Walter Payton, which is not a bad thing. But uh, I think uh, Mitch is, is in, a, in a good spot because this offense here showcases his talents. And uh, I would have loved to play in an offense like this where you got so many things going on and uh, so many options. But, uh, you know, I, I think it would be a lot of fun to play in that offense. You know, Jim, when you came out of college, you had 72 NCAA passing records. And it was great coaching, but so when you came to the NFL, was it like a, not, not a step backwards, with all due respect to what the NFL was about then. It was a big step backwards. Big step backwards, because I, I was used to throwing the ball 35, 40 times a game, and uh, it took me about six years here to do that. <laughs> well, Mitch, for you, was it a big advancement forward when you got a chance to work with Matt Nagy and, the, and all the offensive coaches that you have and the amount of times you threw the ball in college to you know, having a six touchdown pass game and the whole de continuous development of this offense. Yeah, so my first year, uh, I think I could relate to the offense Jim used to run, just run heavy offense, uh, pound, pound the rock, and then second year, obviously being in the shotgun a lot more, open it up uh, in the pass game, a lot more options out of the shotgun, downfield throws, and uh, you've kind of seen how the offense has evolved from year one, from year two to me, and. I've uh, just been able to, to get better and improve my game and my skills, and it's going to continue to open up and uh, just continue to evolve. But uh, it, it's been fun to see, and I really wish I could watch Jim play in an offense like ours and, uh, and, and just tear it up and throw the ball down the field and, and, and use that arm. But, you know, you, you think about, you know, you guys are unique because Jim was drafted before I came to the Bears and then Mitch drafted in the position you were in. Man, there's a lot of attachment to hope when you guys get drafted by the Chicago Bears in the position you have. Jim, it was a lot of years before there was a successful quarterback. And Mitch, you know the circumstance here. 
both of you guys get drafted with all the hope in the world. You know, you're in the NBA, you get drafted first, you may never see the court. Baseball, you get drafted, you may, may never see the field. You guys are drafted where you're drafted. You bring a lot of hope that's attached to that position. Is that motivating or is that pressure for both you guys? Yeah, I think it's motivating. Um, because obviously it's a dream come true to get drafted as high as you do. And then you know you're going to start because they take you that high and you're going to be put in eventually. So you just prepare yourself as much as possible. And then when the opportunity comes, you just try to make the most of it. But uh, it, it's amazing that I think it, it gives you a lot of confidence as a player that you see a team that when they pick you that high, that they believe in your abilities, they believe in who you are as a person, and they just want to see you go out there, play your game, and, and do the best you possibly can. But I think the two things I learned in Chicago is that you, got, you just got to play with a lot of confidence, and then you got to have thick skin, and you just got to continue to give it all, improve your game, put your heart in, in, into this, uh, into practices, and and love the fans and, and win games and they'll love you back. Jim, when you got drafted, you know, you know you're talking about George Hallis and the whole crew that you were drafted by. Yeah, I had to, I had to deal with Mr. Hallis when I first came here. And uh, I, I, I felt like I was lucky because I didn't have uh, a guy like John Elway or Dan Marino to sit behind. I had Bob Avellini and Vince Evans were the QBs when I got here. And uh, so there was pressure not only for me to play, but I put a lot of pressure on myself. I felt that I was a better quarterback even as a rookie. And uh, I think I started the third game that year and, and, and pretty much after that. But it, it took a while. Um, it took a while for them to understand who I was. Uh, Coach Dick and I, uh, we fought quite a bit. Um, but I think he finally understood that I, I was trying to win ball games. I wasn't doing things to make him mad. I mean, you were in those huddles a lot. And uh, he would send in plays that... Even you knew it wouldn't work. So uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't me trying to upset him. It was just me trying to win games, and we had different philosophy on how to do that. And uh, I kept telling him, look, we don't need to run into a brick wall all, all day long. You know, Walter was, a, Walter was a hell of a receiver, too. We could have used him a lot more out of the backfield, which I tried, wanted to do for years. But uh, we finally started getting into that about 84 and 85, and then things started rolling. When you, look at, that, when you look at that picture, <laughs> is that a promotion picture? because you look like a little kid that's trying on one of those Topps uniforms that you used to buy all in one package. Yeah, it looks like I was a fan just getting a picture right there, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was pretty young there. Bad haircut and everything, but yeah, yeah that, awesome. was, that was interesting. I didn't interesting. know they had golf carts back then. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> well, Mitch, Mitch probably didn't have a guy when he got drafted tell him that he was too small, that he should go to Canada. That's what Mr. Hallis yeah, told isn't me. Isn't that the weird part of it, though, because... They bring you in, they show you love, and then they tell you, well, you know, you're not exactly what we'd like you to be at the quarterback position, but, you know, that had to be tough to hear. I, I, I couldn't hear a word you just said. All right. <laughs> I, I said it had to be pretty tough to hear that, right? From oh, yeah. I mean, I, just, I was just drafted the fifth player and taken in the first round, and then uh, I, I get here to Chicago four hours later, and um, I got out of the limo with a beer. That kind of caused a stink. But, um, you know, yeah, I, I waited for Mr. Hallis for about an hour, and then he finally, I finally got to meet him, and he, the first thing he said was, you're, you're too small, uh, you don't see very well, you got a bad arm. He said, maybe you should go to Canada. And I said, well, why the hell did you draft me, old guy, you know? I said, who's in your scouting department? And uh, so they were, they were knocking me down from day one, so it wasn't, it wasn't a whole lot of fun, that, that first meeting. But the history you put together was significant. So uh, what you did, and, and I think the underrated aspect of you is the fact that you are a winner. You, your emotions on the field told that story, right? Oh, this, this is an emotional game. You gotta play the game with, with a lot of passion, a lot of fire, and, and uh, I've, I've always had that. You know, when I'm competing, I feel that I'm the best, and, and I'm, gonna, you know, I'm gonna prove it to you one way or the other. So, and that's, that's the way I played my whole career. And here's how he did it, ladies and gentlemen, right here, Jim McMahon. The Viking game is the one that everybody talks about. Oh, that's the championship game there, huh? Yeah, that's the NFC championship against uh, the Rams, obviously. That's when is I it, used to could run. Is that when you got your butt bruise on that? No, that, that was uh, later in the game. 
You know, Jim, there are many, many pictures of you with Walter, just the two of you, and you always got your arm around him, you're whispering something. There, I found a bunch of these during the course of his research. Could you explain your relationship with Walter on the field and off the field? Uh, he was a great teammate. You know, he, he did his job. He never said a word, never said, give me the ball. Um, he told me when my first start my rookie year, I, I changed a play uh, early in the game that hadn't, it wasn't in the game plan that week, but it's a play that you run a thousand times in training camp. You, sh you should know the play. Because I got up there, it was third and, I think it was third and nine, and everybody knows we're going to run sweep with Walter on third and long. So they had nine guys on this side of the field. And I just, I changed it to a simple off tackle play to the other side. And my left guard grabbed me after the play and said, you got any more surprises for me? This isn't even in the game plan. I said, well, just keep your ears open because I'm not running into a brick wall. And Walter grabbed me right after that. He said, keep doing what you're doing. He said, you're making us better. And he goes, I don't want to run into that either. So I guess he wasn't used to guys, you know, changing plays and, and, and rather than run into a brick wall, run the other way. It's not that difficult. Mitch, do, do all quarterbacks have that urge a little bit? Or maybe you're not there yet. Yeah, I don't think I'm there yet. I'm not going to change Coach Nagy's plays. I, I, um, he, calls, he calls pretty good plays. And uh, Coach Nagy thinks exactly like I think me and Jim do. You think, you think like a quarterback. If there's nine guys on the left side, you don't run the ball over there. You, you go where the defense is not. You take what the defenses give you, um, where it's open. You check it down. Uh, take your shots when you can, but take what the defense gives you and, and try to keep them off balance and, uh, and, and keep them guessing. Mitch, in the highlight you just saw of McMahon in the Super Bowl, the first play to start the second half, Jim came into the huddle and said, look, you guys, if you show me a good run fake, this is going to be a big play. And you saw the result. It was a big play to Willie Gall. Now you go to the line of scrimmage, you got more than one play called. Is, is that predictability happened for you, or is it more predictability according to what the defense shows you? Um... I, th I think it's more what the defense shows us. We have a lot of options within each play that we go to a line of scrimmage and we have a base play, but it could change a route, protection, and scheme based on what the defense is showing us. And we have a quick, quick adjustment at the line of scrimmage that they're what they give us, and we go into a play, and then they show us something else, and we change it really quick, and we say, okay, this is going to work based on what the defense is giving us. We just change it, roll with it, and, uh, and, and execute it, and everyone does our jobs, and then we're clicking. Mitch. The moment you got drafted, explain to everybody how you felt, the circumstances around it, and just the whole process of the recruitment of Mitch Trubisky by Ryan Pace and his staff. Yeah, it was crazy. I actually got a pretty good story. I got to thank Jim uh, for helping me get to Chicago. So throughout the draft process, I was meeting with um, different teams. I didn't know who was going to draft me, obviously. And uh, the Chicago Bears came to North Carolina, and we kind of had a secret dinner because uh, they didn't want anybody to know that they were interested in picking me. I had no idea they were interested. So uh, we, we go out to dinner with the coaches, Ryan Pace and, and the staff, and uh, I made a dinner reservation at one of the nice restaurants in Chapel Hill, and uh, I made the, the reservation under James McMahon, the last Super Bowl quarterback uh, for Chicago Bears. And so... Uh, I, I think uh, Ryan Pace and the staff, they really like that. Uh, I know I did, and, uh, and uh, oh, Coach Dicko, what's up? How you doing? <laughs> you should have let Jim throw the ball more. And, uh, Damn so right. I, so, yeah, I had to thank Jim for that, and uh, that was one of the cool stories that I got, that I used his name as a reservation, and uh, it just so happened I get to play for the same franchise that he did, and... Uh, I, I just know when I got picked, uh, the draft was in Philadelphia, and it was like, it was kind of a whirlwind because the team forgot to call me, and uh, I just heard my name, Roger Goodell said my name, it was on stage, and it was just, I, I knew it was a dream come true, and uh, it, I just, I really knew it, it, I was in the right spot, and, and Chicago has really been home since that moment. Yeah. It's it, <laughs> vitally important for a player to feel at home because you don't know where you're going to go. You really don't. You want to go certain places, I'm sure, in your mind's eye and in your heart of hearts. And Jim, you may have felt the same way. But it has to feel right for you to thrive. And as we said last night, 
you came in at a time when they needed some, they needed a new coat of paint. They needed, it's a, it's a brand new transition. It's a ground floor and you're building from there. Yeah, absolutely. You come into an organization and me coming out of college, I only had one mindset that we were gonna win. I didn't know when, but I knew at one point we were gonna be successful. We were gonna thrive uh, being here in Chicago, playing for the Bears. And that was the, like, at, in my mind, that was the only option. And at first it wasn't happening. We were struggling a little bit, ha uh, going through some adversity and you know that's gonna happen, but you just have that mindset that this adversity, th th these losing games, it's not gonna last. Uh, hard work, dedication, and perseverance is, is, are the things that get you through that. And uh, a year later, we, we, we flipped the script and we started winning games, uh, had a pretty good season, and we're just trying to build off that going forward. But you just got to continue to have that mindset that you're going to come in here and, and thrive and, and get the Chicago Bears organization back to where it needs to be, and that's winning football games. I, I've said this many times, Jim and Tom. Mitch last year, and I, I always refer to this, but he did an interview with a gentleman before the season, before training camp started, and he basically set the tone for the entire season. It was a, a very convicted, passionate explanation of what he envisions for the Chicago Bears. He didn't say it was going to happen in 2018, but it certainly was a big step in that direction with a 12-win season and the playoffs. But he, he, he sees that picture right there. I found this picture to be quite revealing because it's the Super Bowl trophy that those two guys help win. And it's like you're peering into the future there. It's what you want, it's what every player wants. Is that what you're feeling right there when you walk in as a brand new draft pick looking at that? Yeah, it's pretty surreal looking at that. You walk into the Bears uh, facility and um, you see all the history and you just feel very lucky to be a part of it. And looking at that trophy, I mean, that's what every kid dreams of. And um, just me being goal-oriented and, and, and shooting as high as possible, you think attaining that is, is definitely, it, it's within reach. If we just continue to work, continue to stick to the plan, believe in each other and just keep working, that uh, that's the goal that we're going after this year. And uh, the other cool thing about the picture, I think, is the quote in the back from, uh, from George Hallis, nobody who ever gave his best regretted it. And I think if you do that in any aspect of life, whatever you do, do with everything you possibly have and, and you won't have any regrets. So that's what we're doing. And, and I think if you do th that, then you get a little closer to that trophy. You know, hey Jim, we see that picture of Mitch. We saw that picture of you sitting with Hallis and Ditka. You guys both look like you're 11 years old. How do you get the patience between when you get drafted in your first start and do you, re do you guys both remember your first start? Because I think anybody that gets drafted in the NFL I'm drafted here to be a starter. I'm going to be a leader. What what took that time in between you and your first start? Well, I, like I like I said earlier, I didn't have the you know Hall of Famers in front of me, so I I felt that I should be playing right away. But after going through training camp, I wasn't ready week one. I knew that, and Coach Dick knew that. Uh, I believe Bob Avellini started the first game. I think Vince Evans started the second game. And I started the second half of the second game. And then my first start was against the Detroit Lions. And that's um, something I'll never forget. We had to go, I think we had to go the length of the field to kick a, a, a field goal to win that game. But we did win it. But uh, my first, I think the first throw I had was uh, I threw a pick six to the strong safety. So I didn't have a real good start. But the Dicker stayed with me. And uh, I think he knew that, he knew that I knew what I was doing. Or he I wish he would have told me that because he thought I was doing everything to make him mad. But I think he finally understood I got the game. I mean, coming from the offense that I came to from in college, I mean, I was so used to seeing pretty much anything on the defensive side of the ball. So nothing really surprised me in the pros. And uh, I think he finally realized that I, I actually did know what I was doing. Mitch, how about you in between getting here and your first start? Impatient or was it a time that you needed to grow? Um, I mean, I think as a competitor, I wanted to start from day one, but I believe I started week five against uh, the Minnesota Vikings on Monday Night Football, which is a very memorable start. I mean, as a kid, you dream to play on Monday Night Football and to go against the Minnesota Vikings at home uh, at Soldier Field was absolutely incredible. Um, we, we came up short, but I, I threw my first touchdown, a, a tipped pass to Zach Miller. Uh, so that worked out. But uh, 
it, I think it was a little tougher for my development coming in because, I mean, all through training camp and even leading up to that week, I was taking reps with the third and second team and um, just preparing leading up to that point. And all of a sudden, for the first time, I'm about to play a game uh, with the starters, and the first time I'm getting reps with them was that week. So uh, I, I thought it, it could have helped just getting reps with them more early on from the beginning. But um, the, the more reps, I, I feel like I get better with each and every single rep coming in the game, coming in practice, and being out there going against the starters, especially going against our defense. They just prepare so well week in and week out. And uh, it's, it's a continual journey just try, trying to keep getting better. You know, there's nothing can be as more humbling as watching tape with all of your peers after you play a game, especially your first start. Jim, we used to sit in there, and Dick would run the projector, and he would take it easy on nobody. How was Ditka to you in that film session, and, and how, and I'm going to ask Mitch you the same thing, how was that first film session after being the quarterback and with your peers? How was it for you, Jim? Well, as you know, it was always pretty volatile, so... Um, I don't really remember the first couple of sessions. I, I just do, re I remember the sound of the projector used to make, because we could sleep during that, it make a lot of noise. But now they have this videotape, everything's quiet, you can't sleep anymore. So you actually hear them yelling at you. But um, I don't really remember, I, I know he got on me a couple of times uh, for, for certain things, but uh, for the most part, he didn't, he didn't really jump my butt in the, in the film sessions. Yeah, no, no one's safe in meetings, um, nobody's sleeping, and uh, it's, at first you're watching film as a quarterback, and you're just listening to what coach says, but after year one, after year two, now being in this offense, I know exactly what everyone's supposed to do. I'm, be, I'm able to be more vocal, tell the receivers what I'm looking for, how I want them to run their routes, and where, where they need to be within the timing, and it really just helps get everyone on the same page that I'm able to coach them. And, but at the same time, also take criticism from coach. And I want him to coach me hard. If I do something wrong, I want him to call me out in front of the group, make sure they know that I messed up or I did it right, or make sure that they messed up or when they did it right. So it's just constant communication. Um, and, and there's no hard feelings in the film room. We're all here for one goal, and that's to get better. So if coach is talking to you, you listen, correct it, you write your note, you, you make sure you're taking notes throughout the whole time, writing things down and getting better. And, uh, and we got a lot of brilliant coaches, and they're also, they're not just coaches, they're really good teachers. So they know how to say things in a way that hits everyone's brain. Uh, if you don't understand it the first time, they can say it in a different way to make sure everybody gets it and everyone's on the same page. And there's no egos. It's not, who, I know more than you, you know more than me. It's just, let's figure out what's, what works for this offense, where we can be at our best, where we can keep rolling, and, and we're in this together. So let's make sure everyone's on the same page and let's just go and get better. By the way, I, there's a, um, yeah, give me, give me a hand, give me a hand. Um, you guys have a, the ability to write down questions, and we'll take your questions up here and read them to these guys uh, in about the final 10 minutes of our seminar here today. And uh, I hope you're enjoying the conversation, and we're going to have uh, a whole day of it here uh, at our event. And uh, check out this entire facility. It's uh, wrought with bears history in the building and a great venue to, to have this event. So we appreciate you guys being here today. Uh, when I was going through this stuff and Tom and I were trying to put together a, a plan for this, Jim, it's hard to capture somebody's career in 50 minutes and, and yours just starting, but whether it was your own idea of how you wanted to be perceived or the reality of it all, going through some of the mag, you were on a lot of magazine covers. so. You had a poster, the Mad Mac poster, Rolling Stone, the rock and roll quarterback, um, the McAttitude, a maverick. Did you embrace all that? Did you, did you feel that was reality? Or, did it, or was it just how you were perceived by the outside? I didn't, I didn't make up any. I didn't make up the punky QB lyrics. I didn't make up the, a lot of the things that I saw in the media. I did stuff to, to make myself laugh and to make my teammates laugh and, and to have a good time because... Uh, you know, you go through these things, you, you get to work at 8 in the morning every day, you get home at 6, so you're with these guys all day long, and a lot of it's boring. So you got to try to have a little bit of fun, and that's what I try to do. Whether, whether they took that out of I'm being a maverick or I'm being a crazy whatever, I didn't care. It, didn't, it wasn't going to affect my on-the-field play. And that's what I told these guys. I said, you can do whatever, you know, act however you want, but on Sunday, you got to play. 
And uh, if you do that, everything kind of everything else fades away. Here's the, here's but, the you know what, though? One thing, it did spill over to us because us as our offensive line, we all got Adidas shoe contracts. We all got Honda scooters for, not, for a good price. And we all got a lot of Revo sunglasses, all because of the popularity that Jim created for those companies. He was able to spill it over to the teammates. So it was never a one-man show. It was being a part of the Bears team and how it spilled over to everybody. And I think... We all were super appreciative of it, but as Jim said, when it came to Sunday, you know, all that stuff was just the extras and it was about winning games. Here's the end result of that. So just going through all the statistical analysis of, of your career, there was a stretch that when you were the starting quarterback, you won 29 of 31 games during one stretch. You had a one-point loss, two-point loss at Denver, and the other one to Minnesota. I mean, you hit your stride. If do you ever think about the fact that if only you could have just bat beat that injury bug a little bit, I mean, your record as a starting quarterback was already great. It would have been spectacular. Well, I mean, I, st I was playing hurt when I first, when I first got here. I mean, my, in 1984, I, I played with a broken throwing hand for the four or five weeks. Uh, and people asked me why I couldn't throw a spiral. I couldn't feel the ball. You know, they, they'd shoot my hand, this bone here, they'd shoot it all around the bone and they'd hit a nerve, so I'd be numb to my elbow. So balls would be going like this. I mean, they're still getting in the vicinity, but they weren't pretty. Uh, and I, I played with that until I, I injured my kidney later in the season. And that ended, that ended in 1984 for me. But uh, the following year, uh, I missed, I think, four or five games that year because of my shoulder was, was, was starting to get bad. And, then, and, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, did you regret playing through that particular injury? I think you were quoted as saying that's the one injury you regret. Well, in 1986, yes, because after the first ball game, I should have not have played. My my shoulder was gone. I had no labrum. My my arm was coming in and out of the socket every time I moved it, and I kept telling them that. Kept telling the coach, uh, the the trainers, and the doctors, and they kept saying there was nothing wrong. So I kept trying to play with it. You know, they kept shooting it every week, and I, you know, once it's numb, you you know, <laughs> you never know where the hell the ball is going to go, but. Uh, I won the, the six starts that I had that year, but uh, I, sh I should have never been playing. That's the one I really regret. But, um, you know, I kept trying. And uh, the following year, I, I missed the first half of the season. I was still recovering from my shoulder surgery. Uh, my arm, they told me it would take me two years to play again. I was playing in 10 months. So the rehab was three times a day. And, and uh, to try to get this thing back into shape was, was tough. I mean, every time I'd throw a ball, if I was trying to th throw it, I'd look at you and throw the ball, the ball would go that way. So I had to retrain all the muscles and everything, and it was, it was tough, but I wouldn't have played after that. Maybe that would have, uh, I could have stayed here my whole career after that because I kept getting questioned not only from Ditka, but some other teammates had mentioned some things, and I'm like, and, I, and here I just played three years with a broken hand, and, a, and I, I was actually playing two minutes with a torn kidney. So uh, why they were questioning whether or not I was hurt was, was beyond me. Well, I think maybe that starts with Mitch. Do you know why Jim wears sunglasses? Uh, he had an injury to his eye when he was younger. He, he stuck himself in the eye with a turkey fork when he was a kid. And was it your brother that said, hey, don't say anything to mom else she's going to be mad at us? No, I said don't say anything to mom. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was right, it was after school one day, and uh, my brothers and I were playing Cowboys and Indians. We didn't have Xbox and all that back in the day. So I had a, uh, a gun holster tied to my knee, and I couldn't get the knot out. So I went and got a fork, and I was sitting there with the fork like this, and went boom. And that just proves the hand's quicker than the eye, because two prongs went dead center and just kind of shredded my eyeball. And I, I pulled it out right away, and I, it hurt like hell, believe me. But uh, I'm sitting there whimpering. I went and cleaned the fork so my mom wouldn't get mad. And I told her about two hours later what happened, and she freaked out. And, we only had one car at the time. My dad was at work, so I sat there probably about six hours before I went to the hospital. And then uh, I got there later that, that evening. The doctor wanted to operate right away because it, it, it tore my eye. And he said, no, can't do it because I had just eaten something. And they're not, they're not going to pump a six-year-old's stomach to do an operation. So I had to wait till the morning. I just remember my dad all night talking to the, um, the doctor saying, just please save his eye. He didn't want me to have a glass eye. So. You know, this whole, my whole career, this was my blind side. I, I didn't see anything over here. I could see this guy behind me, but not right here. And, uh, but I, I learned, I grew up with it. Yeah, I how'd, learned. You, how'd you do that? 
Well, I just, I learned from it. I mean, this happened when I was six. I grew up not, you know, having good depth, good depth perception or, or being able to see from this side, but it's just something I learned to deal with and never really considered it a, a handicap. All right, let's throw some Mitch Trubisky highlights on the screen uh, and see what this young man has done in a very short period of time. I mean, the growth comes every day, so it's, that's expected, right, for you. But if you could just kind of capture what 18 did for you. Yeah, 18, he's a heck of a player. I mean, the one thing that pops out. No, no. Oh, the, the 18 season. season, my bad. 18, Taylor Gabriel. Shout out Taylor Gabriel. Specific, more specific questions would help. Uh, 2018, it, it was incredible. I mean, obviously you have getting Coach Nagy and the staff he brought, the new offense, just learning so much from them. Um, but it, it really started with just like an attitude and a mindset that we are going to turn it around and we're going to win games. It started in the locker room. It, it really started out at practice, just our mindset. We were going to compete every day, and it didn't matter who lined up against us. We were going to give them our best, and, and we are going to come out victorious. And learned a lot about um, defenses, just how, how different they defend our offense. We got a lot of different weapons on the outside now, so it's really hard to just key on one guy when you got so much talent around you. And if we just, if everyone execute, continue to spread the ball around, I think we're going to be really tough offense to stop. But for me, uh, and, and I know I think Jim will agree, the most important guys in the offense are the offensive line, the center, the guys up front. They, they help take care of the quarterback, keep the guys off us, and open up holes in, in the run game and, and, and give us time to throw the ball. So, I mean, if there's a clean pocket, um, we're going to find someone to open and we're going to put it in the right spot. And if they create holes, that just keeps the defense honest uh, in, in the pass game as well. So it, it all starts up front, and we, we, we're just a really tight-knit group, and I think that's what's going to separate us from everyone else, how tight we are as teammates. It didn't get lost on me when you were at the White Sox game the other day with the whole offensive line out there, throwing out the first pitch. You, you hung with them. Your relationship with the offensive line was legendary. They loved you. You, you loved them. Uh, is that critical? Is that critical to have that symbiotic relationship off the field as well as on the field? Well, I think it is. I think they'll, they'll understand you better. Um, you know, we, got to, we did our things every Thursday night. We'd go out, and uh, it was whoever's turn to buy, they'd pick the restaurant. And then we'd, it just started out basically just the old lineman and myself. And uh, by the end of the year, we've had probably 30 guys at dinner on Thursday night because they heard how much fun we were having. And uh, Dicka heard about it, too. So Friday morning practice was always pretty tough. You know, one, one thing, Jim's relationship with the offensive line. So after we get our uniform on, we'd all go in the back, and then we'd tighten up our sleeves and put them away. So one day, Jim comes before a game. He goes, hey, do that to me. So now we got McMahon in there. He's got his sleeves rolled up like he's an offensive lineman. And it is the different relationships when you see Cody Whitehair escort Mitch into the end zone on his run. You know, it, it, it is the, the, that camaraderie that develops in the hard times of the games, but in the good times on the practice field. And Mitch, it's a continuous development, especially when you have these guys like Cody and Kyle and Charles Leno and stuff and Bobby Massey that have been around for a long time and the development of James Daniels. Yeah, it's awesome. And I think the first thing I had to do coming in here, just being a younger guy, is just earn the respect. Um, one, with my work ethic, and then two, I think just who I am as a person. And it's all about being authentic and genuine and develop real relationship with them that go beyond football. Just hanging out with them off the field, getting to know them and their family, and just really becoming brothers, not just on the field, but for life outside the field. And I think that it just translates to success on the field that you're gonna, no matter what happens, if, if everything is going really well or if it's not going so well throughout the game, you're going to stick with the guys right next to you and you're just going to go out there, have fun, and, and make plays happen. And, and uh, I think I just developed a relationship with my alignment that it, it, it's all love. It's, it, it truly is. We truly are the family and, and they want to protect me and, I wanna, and I'm going to do everything I possibly can on the field or off the field to make sure that they know that I have their back as well. Are there yeah, we, can't, we can't do anything as quarterbacks or, or receivers or running backs without these guys. And it's, it's futile to think anything differently. Games, games are won and lost with the offensive line. And uh, our guys didn't get enough credit. 
These guys led the league in rushing three straight years, which had never been done. And I don't think it's been done since. And everybody knew we were going to run the ball. And that's, that's a tribute to the five guys up front because even though there's eight men in the box, we still got it done. And that's, these guys were pretty damn good. Yeah. We, like I said, we can't do anything without them. If you, we have one guy that doesn't do his job, you're going to get smacked. So five guys in cohesion along with the tight end and backs, I mean, they, they win and lose ball games. It's never going to change. Did, did you play quarterback with an offensive lineman's mentality, and do you find yourself doing that at times, uh, Mitch, in games as well? No, I, just, I, I played the game the only way I knew how, whether that be alignment or what. But I, I wasn't afraid of contact. Uh, I've, I've always been one of the smaller guys on every team I've ever played on. So I was never afraid of, of getting hit or getting hurt. That's just, that's just part of the game. But uh, I, I don't think I put myself above them. I was part of them, and that's, I think, why, why we were successful. Yeah, I think uh, I've learned to, I mean, I hear from you guys too, like I got to slide, I got to get down, but as a competitor, you want to you wanna get those yards, you want to do, you, everyone else on the field, especially your linemen, they're sacrificing their bodies for the betterment of the team, and when you get a chance to carry the ball or pick up extra yardage as a competitor, you want to do that, um, but you just got to continue to keep the big picture in mind, and for me, that's staying healthy, getting down, playing the next play. Um, and, and knowing when the journey's over, especially when the guy, when you're carrying the ball, the, the defenders, they're, they're coming to take you out of the game. They're trying to take your head off and, and, uh, and make sure to that you know that they know that you're out there. And uh, so it, it's, it's a learning process, but at the same time, like Jim said, you, we're going to play the game the way we know how, and, and that's just balls to the wall, picking up extra yards, keeping plays alive. And, and doing what I need to do for my team to make sure that we're successful. And with emotion, which you definitely play with emotion. When you, when, when you guys had a successful play, highlight after highlight, you got an ear-to-ear -ear grin and you're wi wired up. And that last touchdown run you saw on the video against Detroit, I, I, I've talked to you about that particular play. It's like you got into the end zone, you had this primal scream. It was a, almost a, a symbolic thing for you just in a short period of time, you know, people, there were doubters. There were doubters about you being selected that high, and I think that that lives within you, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I do have a, I, I don't always show it all the time, but I do play this game with emotion, and I think it helps for me just to stay even-keeled throughout the game uh, so that I'm able to be focused. And sometimes my receivers know when I'm playing with too much emotion because they're like, Mitchell, you got to take some off the ball. Uh, it's coming in too hot. You're hurting. You're hurting our hands. Just like hey, put a little touch on it so we could catch it, and uh, so you don't always got to come out that fired up. But so for me, it's just saying even even keeled. So I'm focused, locked in. But every once in a while, you, you just got to let it out. And that was like throughout the season, um, we were being doubted, and we were in a tough spot. We just continued to win games, and after that touchdown, I just wanted to to, to show how fired up I was, and and, and that's what it was. But. There's always a time and place for showing your emotion, and I think my teammates know, especially at practice, throughout the games, what you say to them in the huddle, how you say things. Um, and, and, and they can see it in your eyes at the end of the game. You can't see my eyes right now because I got these nice sunglasses on, but when you, look, when you step into the huddle, when you're on the sidelines, when you're in the locker room, your, your teammates can look you in the eyes, and, and they know what you're about. They know that you're ready to go. They know that you're confident, locked in, and, and there's really no doubts about what's going to happen on the field um, by looking in your eyes and, and knowing how confident that you are that the job's going to get done. So it, it's all mindset, it's all attitude, and sometimes you just got to let it out. And, and, and we, we feel the fans' energy as well, so the emotion doesn't stop on the field. You, you feel it coming from the stands, trickling down, and as a player, you just want to go crazy and, and, and make big plays. Hey, Jim. So after touchdowns, most of us would get a headbutt from you, and that was our way of celebrating. When you look at the allowing you to celebrate any way you want to nowadays in the NFL, would you have changed that celebration, or was the headbutt fitting of, of our time? No, I wouldn't have changed it because that, that was basically all spontaneous. You know, now, now these guys, are, they're practicing all week for their touchdown dance, it seems like. So... It was just one of those things, hey, let's, let's go, let's go get another one. And, and uh, I know a couple of us actually tried to knock each other out. I know Becker tried to get me a few times. But... 
I remember I headbutted you one time and you didn't have your chin strap on and your helmet yeah. came down and hit the top of your nose and it was kind of some okay, I gotta make sure that the quarterback yeah, You gotta is always be strapped, strapped up. up after you score, that's for sure. Tell us a story. How you feel about this man? Oh man. I could tell you the, the funniest story the first time I ever snapped the ball to Jim was an unbelievable so I, 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 I literally drive from the USFL game on a Saturday night straight through to Platteville, Wisconsin on a Monday morning. And so back then the rookies and the quarterbacks would come in a week early for camp. And I thought I was gonna play center. And so I come out to practice, faux pads, and I got a, a waist belt on. It's called a fat belt at the time. And so, but I didn't have any shorts. Tom's a sweater. I'm a sweater, I'm a sweater. So I get down and I'm gonna snap the ball. And so I snap the ball, but it, it hits my sweat. And as the-, the Splattered everywhere, it was it nice. Spl it, spl it splattered all throughout Jim's face. And he threw the ball down and he goes, do you have shorts on? And I go, no, Mr. McMahon. And he goes, Ray Early was our equipment manager at the time. And he goes, Ray, get over here get him some shorts, put them on, and don't ever come out like that again. Yeah. So that was my first experience of My really hands stunk for a week after that. <laughs> so, and I was just there for a week because Jay was not in camp yet. And so everybody, you know, Jay had just come off of a Pro Bowl season, and he was the center. But I was just trying to figure out what my role was going to be on this team. But... I will never forget that as long as I live. It never happened again. I don't think I ever wore that belt out to practice again. And, um, you know, it, it kind of understood the relationship that the center better have with the quarterback. You have anything like that? Any stories with your offensive line in your early days here as an NFL player? No, thank God my, my centers aren't big sweaters. So that's kind <laughs> of better. I got a better one than the Tommy story. I was playing for the Chargers in 1989 after I left Chicago. And uh, this one game, I get a rookie center. And he's also on the kickoff return team. So we get the opening kickoff. I think we get the ball about the 20-yard line. I go into the huddle. And we didn't have the shotgun formation in San Diego. The, he, the coach didn't believe in the shotgun. So the center grabbed me, and he says, hey, uh, if your hand starts to smell, it's because I just crapped my pants. True story, folks. True story. So I, I burned a timeout before the game starts. I called timeout. I'm walking over the sideline, and Coach Henning, the head coach, he's all over, what are you doing? What are you? I said, this is exactly why we need the shotgun. I said, your boy just crapped his pants, and I'm not sticking my hand in there until he cleans it out. So he had to leave the game for a little while and freshen up. and. Uh, but that's how centers will do you sometimes. You got to watch out for that. Yeah, My hand did stink for a month after that game. I think we were 80-something percent in shotgun last year, so which was like third in the league. So I was pretty happy about that. I imagine, indeed. Uh, I think another underrated quality that you had that you would have actually thrived in this era of football as well and in this system is your mobility. You were, you, you were mobile, you were athletic. Let's show one of the great catches you're gonna see by a quarterback in the National Football League. You remember this one, Big Jim? It'll toss, be coming this, up here. Is this the, the highlight, toss 29 throwback? Toss 29 throwback, here we go. Break it down. Pay attention, I make a good block at the end. John wipes out two guys here. <clears throat> Two. Boy, Tommy. This is one of the greatest catches of all time. Look at time. that catch. What a beauty. Oh, I made it look harder than it was. Look how small Jim oh, looks next to Van Horn. That is you know, the, that's the biggest human I've ever seen. And, and this is a true story. Keith Van Horn was so big that I never stood next to him for the national anthem because I didn't want the guy across the line looking at me going, man, look how small that guy is. And, you know, he's, you know, six, seven and a half, and you put his helmet on, he's up to six, nine. So, you know, you look at Keith put his arms around Jim, around Jim like makes a little him look kid. tiny. Yeah. Mitch, put your reporter's hat on, or just your inquisitive self. 
do you have any questions for Jim McMahon? Yeah, I got a question. I think uh, for me growing up, my favorite player was Walter Payton. And uh, the, fir the first ever book I read in elementary school was a uh, biography on the life of Walter Payton. So I just want to know if you have any, what was it like playing with him? And what was your favorite characteristic about Walter? Uh, Walter was a great teammate, but I mean, he was, like I said earlier, he never, never said give me the ball, was never a, a selfish player. He always did his job, and, uh, and he did it professionally. When he, when he got in the end zone, he just flipped the ball to the, uh, the referee. There was never any, you know, dancing around or nothing like that. He just, he was just a true professional and uh, one of the biggest pranksters we've ever had on the team. I mean, he was always lighting the M80s. And he'd, let, he'd, he'd put him on a, a tape, and he'd, like, tape it to the Hallis Hall racquetball court. You had to walk by the racquetball court on your way out to practice. And those things would be blazing up for about two or three minutes. He'd already be out of practice. And as guys were walking out, you'd hear this big boom. And it scared the hell out of everybody. And hey, you got to tell him about <clears throat> in the Miami Dolphins game when Walter had the streak of eight or, eight or nine hundred-yard games. And this is the only game we lost, Mitch. Yeah, so we're playing uh, playing Miami on Monday night, and Mike decides I'm not going to play that night for some reason. I missed, I guess, one one day of practice that week. So we said, "You're not playing." I'm like, "Okay, you know, we're having fun in Miami. I don't really want to. I don't really care. <laughs> we're already in the playoffs. We're 12 and 0. We're we're already got home field advantage sewn up. So my job that night was to make sure Walter got his 100 yards. I was keeping track, kind of in my head, how many yards he had. And about six minutes to go in the game, Mike decides to put me in. We're down 14 points. And I get in the huddle and I said, look, boys, we're already in the playoffs. I said, this game doesn't mean a damn thing. I said, let's get this man the record that he deserves. And to a man, they said, yeah, let's do it. So Ditka had given me a running play. So when I got up to the line of scrimmage, he knew I didn't call the running play. He's already mad. And I give it to Walter, he, he busts in there for like 15 yards because they're, they're dropping, they're rushing three, dropping eight. So I forgot we had one timeout left though. So he burns a timeout. I have to go talk to him now and he's, he's all in my face. And I said, look, we have nothing in our pass game that gets us that many yards for number one. And I said, number two, I said, Walter only needs about 10 yards for his record right now. And he had no clue what I was talking about. He was so mad at me. And it finally kicked in. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, we're going we're gonna to get him his record, but first we're going to do this. So he gives me another pass play. I go in the huddle. I said, boys, it's really going to hit the fan now. But I said, we're running this thing again. And they said, let's do it. So I come up to the line. I look over now, and now he knows I didn't call that play. So he threw his clipboard, and he went to throw his headset but his headset stuck to his waist, so it kind of bounced off and hit him back in the chest. And meanwhile, I'm running the play, watching Walter run, right? And he, he got another 10 or 15 yards. I said, all right, now let's try to win the game. But he did end up getting his record. I was happy to see him do that because he deserved that at the time. And we didn't need the win anyway. It would have been great to go undefeated, have an undefeated season, and, and uh, you know, do all that, but I think that was more important than that. I, we did we did what we set out to do. That was win a championship, and uh, so I was I was glad that we got both those accomplished. With Jim, has started that year, 11 and 0, and the Pro Bowl. You can't get better than that. Plus the championship. So take us to Super Bowl Sunday. Well, I, I was having a great week up until I think it was Thursday morning. Uh, we'd been there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We had no curfew, so it was, uh, it was a good week in New Orleans. Uh, Thursday morning, I got woken up by some irate fans screaming and yelling at me, saying they're going to kill me and all this and that, and I had no idea what they were talking about. I go down to the team breakfast that morning. Uh, Jerry Venisi, our old GM, come up to me and said, oh, you really did it this time. Still had no clue what was going on. Then Ditka came up to me in the breakfast line. He says, did you really say that? And I said, say what, Mike? I said, Jerry's mad at me. Some fans woke me up this morning. What, what did I do now? And then he told me what, what had happened. I said, and you believe that? I said, you actually believe I got up at 6 a.m. to do a damn radio interview with somebody? 
I said, I didn't get home till five o'clock. I'm not getting up there. So I was, I was getting death threats from Thursday on. So Sunday was almost a blur to me. I was, I'd seen Black Sunday and all those crazy movies where fan wants to shoot you, he'll shoot you. So, so I was more wait, worried about get, getting you, out of New Orleans alive than the game. You, you are honest to God, look me in the eye, worried about that. Oh yeah, I was dead. Wow. It, it scared the hell out of me. Cause, and we practiced at the old Saints facility, which there was a, an apartment complex right behind that facility, overlooked the whole field, and, I, and nobody would stand with, by, by me at practice. I had to wear a different uniform. I, I think Jim watched too, much, too many movies and too much television. Holy smoke. No, you don't. Uh, I don't put it past these crazy fans, man. They'll, they'll do anything they can. But they also had a helicopter flying over practice, and you mooned the helicopter. Well, I kept getting questions about my, my ass because I got uh, in the NFC Championship game. The one time I did slide that year, I got drilled in my hip. And uh, this side of my hip is about this big. And I, I really, if it wasn't for that acupuncturist, I would have never played in that game because my hip, I couldn't move, I couldn't walk. And um, so that was, where the hell was I going with that? What were we talking about? We were talking about you and the radio interview and then oh, the yeah, apartment then the, com. So they kept asking me all week about my ass, or my butt, you know, so I said, I got tired of it, so the helicopter was buzzing us while we were doing calisthenics, so I just, I kind of dropped trial and showed him what it hurt. Hey, Mitch, you know, last year, uh, October 31st, was a Halloween game, and they, you come in in a, in a kind of a Ditka costume. You know, that's... The man likes to have fun, right? I, I know, it, it's kind of gutsy, though, because, you know, there's not, you know, you, nowadays they got a camera on your entrance. Everybody sees it in the stadium. They play it on all the sports shows. They talk about it on the radio. Do you, do you enjoy kind of putting that type of magnifying glass or that fun pressure on yourself? Yeah, you know, um, it's a little different walking in the stadiums now. You get out of your car, there's immediately a camera right in your face. You got to wake up, brush your teeth, do your hair in the morning, make sure you don't just come in at 5 a.m. from the night before. Um, but this was just one of those things that, uh, it was Halloween, I wanted to do something fun. I mean, the rich history of the Bears, I, everyone knows the, the iconic uh, Mike Ditka um, sweater and the sweater vest, and I had everything but the sweater vest, so I asked our equipment manager, Tony Medlin, uh, if he had anything uh, in the back, and he picked out this sweater for me, and uh, I just threw it all together, and uh, I, those are actually my mom's sunglasses, so. She, she was wearing those that week, and I was like, yo, those are like the same exact ones that Mike Dicka used to wear. Can I use those for this week? And she said, absolutely. So I came in, and uh, it, it all came together. So a, a lot of people got a kick out of it, and I had a lot of fun doing it. But uh, you just got to make sure you win that day, or else the costume is for nothing. Well, who, I, I, all the quarterbacks, you guys usually have pretty cool hats on when you travel on the road. Who's the instigator of the hat wearing? It's my idea, it? yeah. I'm the hats. And then whatever one quarterback does, the rest of the quarterbacks have to do. So we do, we do everything as a group. Mitch, to this point, in your opinion, what's been the most significant moment and development in your NFL career? I would say there's really it's, – it's hard to pinpoint one moment I would just say the continual, the continual grind and just keeping, keeping it in perspective that I'm truly living out a, a childhood dream of mine, especially playing in the great city of Chicago, and just the opportunity that we had a, have ahead of us to, to be a part of history and, and to make our own history, history and just trying to leave, leave a legacy behind uh, um, uh, and, and carry on the great legacy, which is the Chicago Bears. So I'm just very excited for what's ahead. And, uh, and continue to get better and uh, see, see what's in store for the season. Let me pull a quote from Mitch last year before the season began. He was asked by this reporter that I referred to earlier, imagining the 2018 Bears sweeping the city the way the 85 Bears did, Trubisky rubs his chin. He says, it'd be iconic, it'd be legendary, it'd be everything you dream of. I think we all share that dream. You dream big. 
ever since you were a little kid, and you're realizing these dreams. Like you dream, you wanted this. How does that resonate with you? That your dreams are becoming reality. It's. I think it's just a crazy thing that I'm able to to do what I do on a daily basis. Wake up, go to the facility, facility, play football as a, as a job. And just keep in mind that it was the same game that I was playing growing up. It, it's, it's a dream come true, and you just got to make sure every day that you're making the most opportunity, which, which I think I am. Just continue to get better, have fun. It is a game. And, and continue to res respect and love the game because it's given me so much. And it, it's, it's really a privilege uh, to, to play in Chicago, to continue to play, play this game. It, it's truly a blessing. And, um, you just got to keep that in mind that, that we're blessed to be able to, to do what we do on a daily basis, go to work, play football, have fun, um, and, and play with such amazing people and develop relationships that will last a lifetime. And last night, getting to see Jim with all his teammates and go, seeing Bears from the 60s and, and 50s and all the Hall of Famers, it, it truly is relationships that last a lifetime. And, and last night was, was a great example of that. So. It's, we're just very privileged to be able to do what we do. Jim, what did last night mean to you? I mean, I think guys, and I've all, whenever I've done interviews with guys, I, I always tell them, and Tom does too, that 10, 15, 20 years from now, you'll appreciate the relationships and the moments and the locker room and the weekly dinners that you had more than anything, but you need that time away from the game to really understand what it all meant. And I, and I I heard from guys last night, they were from every decade, just moved by last night being in that room all together. No, it was, it was great to see the old guys and the young guys all together. Uh, this town has always been a bear town, and it's always going to be a bear town. And uh, these fans, I think this is a hardworking town, and these fans appreciate hardworking players, and they, they know who plays hard and who doesn't. And if you play hard for Chicago, they'll love you. And if you play hard and win, they'll love you forever. And that's the way it's been so far. So thank you. You know, on that, that same question, you know, Mitch is trying to achieve everything that you have been able to achieve. You talk about this event. It's got people from all 50 states and seven different countries. Jim, every time they refer to you, they refer to you as the Super Bowl winning quarterback of the 85 Bears. Does that carry you around the country, and, and like, is that what people want to talk about first in your life? Uh, that and the Super Bowl shuffle, that just won't go away. You know, that's, that's the thing. I don't know what it, what it is about that damn song, but everybody kind of, you know, we did that to, to feed the homeless on Thanksgiving and Christmas. That was our idea when all that started, but then it just, it just took on a life of its own. But. Uh, you know, this city's been great. I, like I said, I've, I lived here for 28 years. I love the fans here. I love coming back, especially this time of year where it's not freezing. And uh, my, my oldest son still lives here in town, so it's, uh, it's always special to come back here and be a part of this team and, and uh, our guys. I mean, it was just like we had just left the locker room the other day. I mean, the stories that come around and, and the friendships, that's, that's the thing that we miss, just hanging out with each other. All right, we only have two minutes to go, but I gotta, I gotta bring this up because you have really dedicated yourself to um, being there for the military. And you were in Iraq a few years back. Tell us that story because I only recently heard about it. What an incredible experience for you. Oh, to, to see what's going on in war over there was, was amazing. Uh, all the good things that was happening over there never got reported here. Uh, the, all the infrastructure that we provided um, you know, I was there when they hung Saddam. We, they wouldn't let us go to the hanging, but uh, we, were, we were pretty close. We stayed, actually stayed in one of his palaces that night. But just to see what, the, what our men and women go through during times of war was amazing. And it was, uh, I was supposed to go back to Afghanistan the following year, but uh, that got nixed. They said, oh, you made it once, you're not going to go back. But it was an incredible experience. I've always got to do a lot of great stuff with the military. Um, and it's just Without the, the sacrifices that they made, we couldn't be sitting up here doing what we do. So I appreciate them, and uh, I'll continue to do that work. Any final thoughts, Tom? Uh, hey, I think everybody here is looking to, the, looking to the future, but learning from the past. And I think that's the great thing about this event. Last night, having a chance to go in that room, and you talk about the generations of players from 89 years old 
up into the guys that, you know, the 20-year-olds from last year's team. It's just been a great opportunity for us to, to learn new stuff about the Bears. And in preparation for this event, is all the different stuff you're able to learn about the history of Chicago Bears, about, you know, one thing that the word that always comes up about the Bears and, and George Hallis is toughness. And I think you go back and you look at every one of those guys that have made their name with the Bears, it's because they are tough people. Three tough guys right up here as well. Thank you so much. Jim McMahon. Thank you guys for coming out. Go Bears. Mitchell Trubisky, Bears quarterbacks. Give him a nice hand, everybody.